Aristea Goes Everywhere, Episode 6, Tito's Bunker. Every night when Aristea went to bed, her mother or her grandmother or her auntie would tell her stories of places and people all over the world. And every night, Aristea would dream of great people and breathtaking places. In the morning when she awoke, Aristea would continue to think about the stories and her dreams. Aristea was sure she was a princess, because princesses sometimes had to go scary places and do very brave things. And Aristea had recently visited Vyachnitsa in Sarajevo and heard the story of the Duchess Sophie, who had continued on gracefully through life, even though many nobles had detested her and bullied her terribly. Sometimes, the children at Aristea's school could be quite rude, and Aristea decided that she would think of how Duchess Sophie would respond in those situations. Aristea was determined to be the best possible princess she could be, even though it meant she would have to do very hard things. Fairy tales made it all seem much easier than it actually was in real life, and Aristea was beginning to understand that being a real princess was not like the fairy tales at all. For one thing, sometimes princesses lived in jail cells and not castles. And for another, it was entirely possible to be a princess, even if you weren't actually born a princess. It could all be very confusing. Aristea and her mother Antonella were visiting Aristea's Auntie Anita in Sarajevo. Aristea just loved Sarajevo. It was so different from any other place she had seen, with Ottoman buildings and Austrian buildings, and a history in both Europe and Asia. It was a city full of tragedy and triumph, the best and the worst stories about people, and Aristea loved hearing stories more than anything. One day, as they packed to go to Croatia, her auntie Anita had a surprise for Aristea. We are not going to go straight to Split, Anita said. But why? Aristea asked. She had been looking forward very much to the beautiful beaches her mother had told her about and had a new swimsuit all ready to wear. Because first we are going to visit a very secret place. It was built by Tito, the leader of Yugoslavia and there is no place like it anywhere in the world. Aristea was quite intrigued because she loved secrets. This place is Tito's bunker, and it was built to make sure the leadership of Yugoslavia would survive in case of a nuclear war. It is hidden away inside a mountain and was completely forgotten and abandoned for 20 years. Aristea was intrigued and thrilled. A secret military bunker? It sounded like a superhero movie. As they set off from Auntie Anita's apartment, Aristea had a question. Was there ever a princess in the bunker? Auntie Anita smiled and thought for a moment. No, she said, there wasn't a princess the way we think of most princesses, like a daughter of a king. But there was a woman who had the same role a princess has in public of representing the nation to foreigners and the citizens and fulfilling duties that showed good leadership. Her name was Yavanka, and as the first lady, she was married to the leader of Yugoslavia, the same leader who built the bunker, Josip Broz Tito. 
Aristea hugged her doll happily and leaned against her mother. She dearly loved stories, and she was happy to hear another one. Jovanka was born during the kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes to a family of farmers. They had to flee their farm during World War II, and when she was only 17, Jovanka joined the partisans to fight. Aristea interrupted. She was a soldier? Yes, Anita answered, and she was wounded twice while she fought. She was a partizanka, Aristea's mother Antonella interjected. The partisans were not regular army soldiers. They were regular people like you and me who fought back during the worst days of World War II. They were defending their people and their lands. And even though at that time women were rarely allowed to be warriors, there were many brave women who joined the partisans and fought as valiantly as the men. Aristea was proud to hear that the women of Yugoslavia had fought back just as hard as the men. I can't believe there was a woman fighter as first lady of Yugoslavia, she said. Did this exist in any other country? Jovanka was the first in the world to do many things, Antonella said. But you must hush and let Auntie Anita get to that part of the story. Aristea settled down to listen more, but inside she was still thrilled about the warrior first lady of Yugoslavia. At the end of the war, Jovanka was sent to work with Marshal Tito. His love, Davoryanka, had just died, and because Davoryanka had been Tito's personal secretary, Yovanka moved in to fill the empty space. But Yovanka and Tito didn't fall immediately in love. At first, he thought she was far too energetic, and it drove him crazy. But nearly seven years after they met, they finally married in a secret ceremony in 1952. Aristea was quite intrigued by all the secrets involved in the story and their visit. She had lately been thinking she might want to be a detective princess and figured that stories with secrets might be a good way to practice. Seven years is an awfully long time, Aristea said. It is, her auntie Anita replied, but Tito was not getting married simply for love. He was creating a world movement, and he knew that his wife would need to be a symbol of Yugoslavia just as much as he was. And so, before they married, Jovanka went to stay with a family in Italy to learn how to behave and host in a cultured manner. And she also spent several months in Britain learning to speak English, with tutoring from the niece of Winston Churchill. A lot happened in those seven years. Antonella patted Aristea's knees. You should also remember how young Jovanka was. She was very young, barely 20 when she met Tito. She had fought for her country's freedom, and she was beautiful. But still, a 20-year-old girl is not ready to be the first lady and representative of a nation. Oh, was she beautiful? Aristea asked. She was very curious about Jovanka's looks, because Aristea had begun to understand that beauty can be many things. Even some things which may not sound like they are beautiful, such as Princess Ljubica's mustache. Oh yes, even people who did not like Jovanka couldn't deny she was lovely, Auntie Anita replied. She had thick black hair that was always beautifully arranged, a pert chin, beautifully shaped lips, expressive dark eyes, and a wonderful figure. Later on, after her marriage to Tito, she became the ultimate trendsetter in clothing, makeup, and hair. Many women still use her Yugoslav style today. 
and she managed all of this without Instagram or TikTok. Can we do my hair in Yovanka style? Aristea asked. She was very interested in the fashion part of being a princess ever since she had visited Milan. Of course we can, Antonella answered, but you should hear how Yovanka's story ends first. Aristea was enjoying the story so far, and so she was a little worried about continuing. In her experience, every person had tragedies in their lives, and princesses seemed to have more than anyone else. Yovanka's story seemed like a fairy tale, a beautiful and brave girl who married the leader and inspired women with her fashion. This is how Aristea knew that something terrible was going to happen. It was all too happy for a princess even a princess who was called a first lady. But she did want to know how Yavanka's story would go, so Aristea nodded her head and Anita continued. The 1950s and 1960s were amazing times for Yavanka and for Yugoslavia. Tito became a leader of the non-aligned nations, and Yavanka had to be a graceful hostess and visitor to people from all over the world. She developed a special relationship with Indira Gandhi, and Yovanka worked tirelessly to feature the new Yugoslav fashion industry. She took visiting dignitaries to Belgrade's yearly fashion show, Moda Usvetu, and she arranged private showings and showcases for the wives of ambassadors and foreign officials stationed in Yugoslavia. Yugoslav fashion was unique, and Yovanka made sure that everyone could recognize it. Was fashion really so important? Aristea asked. Her mother, Antonella, who dearly loved to be fashionable, answered, Fashion was very important for a newly beginning country like Yugoslavia. Developed nations have thriving art and fashion scenes. It was very important for Yugoslavia to show that it was not a backwards place, but a nation of beautiful literature, art, and fashion. And Yovanka was the first wife of a socialist leader to take on the first lady role so she had to create a path for future First Ladies to follow. She also had to show on her visits to the Soviet Union, France, Britain, and the United States that Yugoslavia was on their level, and she succeeded in that marvelously. She was like a Balkan Jackie Kennedy. Her mother, Antonella, who dearly loved to be fashionable, answered, Fashion was very important for a newly beginning country like Yugoslavia. Developed nations have thriving art and fashion scenes. It was very important for Yugoslavia to show that it was not a backwards place, but a nation of beautiful literature, art, and fashion. And Yovanka was the first wife of a socialist leader to take on the first lady role, so she had to create a path for future first ladies to follow. She also had to show, on her visits to the Soviet Union, France, Britain, and the United States, that Yugoslavia was on their level, and she succeeded in this marvelously. She was like a Balkan Jackie Kennedy, but even before Jackie Kennedy. So maybe Jackie Kennedy was actually an American Yovanka. Everyone had a bit of a laugh. Aristea had not considered how important fashion might be, but it certainly made sense. I should probably continue, Auntie Anita said. We're very nearly there. Yovanka was publicly the face of Yugoslav style, but she also had another important job. She was the last line of defense between Tito and anyone who attempted to assassinate him. 
There's a story that is told that when she and Tito were visiting President Nixon at the White House, a gun fell out of her bag. Whether it was true or not, Yovanka did take her position as security very seriously as well. But unfortunately, these golden years did not last. While Yugoslav women loved her, Yovanka felt that the men and women in the closest circles around her did not. There was a lot of meanness about her background, even though Yovanka had proven her bravery as a partizanka. And to be honest, Tito was not an easy husband to have. There was also a lot of politicking in the Yugoslav government, and Yovanka was slowly separated from her husband. Are we getting to the tragedy? Aristea asked. She wanted to be ready. Yes, the end of Yovanka's story is a tragedy, replied Antonella. Aristea hugged her doll closer as Auntie Anita continued. Yovanka could see Tito was getting much older and she began to worry about her future. No one today knows for sure what happened and there are many stories, but eventually she was taken quietly by the police to have her mental health checked. She moved further and further out of Tito's life and for the last three years she never saw him. When he died, many government members wanted to exclude her from the funeral, but her friendship with Indira Gandhi saved the day. Gandhi said that she would only attend the funeral if Yovanka was also allowed to do so. But it got much worse. All of Yovanka's belongings were stripped from her and she was placed on house arrest. She didn't even have an ID card or medical insurance. Why on earth would they do that? Aristea was horrified. There seemed to be a lot of arresting going on in stories about princesses. There were many reasons, Anita said, but not every reason is a real reason. And many people who had been around Tito did not like Yovanka at all. Yovanka lived the last 30 years of her life alone in very bad circumstances. There was no heating in her house. She could not even leave to go visit Tito's grave. It was very, very different from the 25 years she was Yugoslavia's active first lady. Most of the world forgot she even existed. Aristea could not imagine being forgotten. She thought again of her very large family and was thankful that there would always be someone to remember her and make sure that her house had heating. What happened to her then? Aristea asked. Journalists discovered her circumstances in 2006, and from then until her death, they attempted to get her the things she needed to survive. They even helped her publish her memoirs. When Yovanka died of a heart attack, they made sure that her wish to be buried next to her husband Tito was honored. And that is where Yovanka is today. Maybe we can visit her, Aristea said. That would be a very good trip, said Auntie Anita. But now we're at Tito's bunker, and we need to sign in with the guards. Aristea's eyes could hardly blink as she gazed at each of the rooms of the bunker in wonder. It was enormous, nearly as big as her neighborhood at home in Sicily. Everything seemed to have been considered. There were cisterns for clean water, communications rooms, meeting rooms, kitchens, and two enormous generators that still worked. Some of the sleeping rooms had bunk beds, and some had just one bed. And then they came to the area that had been set up just for Tito. 
You know, Antonella said, this was built to keep about 350 people of the Yugoslav government for six months in case of nuclear war. 349 men and one woman. Do you have any idea who that woman was? Aristean nodded. It was Yolanka, wasn't it? It was indeed, Antonella said. She even had a dressing area. The guide was very nice and made sure everyone saw all the interesting things remaining in the bunker. There was even a packet of toilet paper near Tito's toilet, which was blocked off from public access because some visitors didn't understand that Tito's toilet was not for public pooping. That story made Aristea laugh for quite a long time. But, because the bunker was so very large and there was so much walking through a tunnel that echoed in rooms with machinery and maps, Aristea was overwhelmed and exhausted by the end of their visit. She listened to her footsteps echoing through the bunker and blinked when they opened the door to the outside. As her mother and Auntie Anita chatted about the things they saw inside the bunker, Aristea looked at the mountain behind her and was surprised that there really was no sign of the enormous place behind the small house on the hill. She decided to remember that house which hid the bunker because it seemed to her that it described being a princess perfectly. There was a calm and neutral outside that hid all the things a princess must be until they were needed. The inside of a princess had to hold bravery and style, composure and brains, culture and empathy, and most of all, a very strong sense of duty. She was very glad to have seen the bunker and to hear the story of Yovanka, but Aristea was also very glad to get back to the car. She was looking forward very much to the beaches in Croatia.